This is episode 124 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. This episode goes back to Women's Camp 2015, One Courageous Community with Carrie Patterson. This is session one from Friday night. Kari Patterson as she comes to share with us a little more deeply about what community is and how that affects each of us in this room. You're so fun. I feel like I need to explain the toilet thing now. <laughs> Before we can start off, you're like, why on earth was she? There's other reasons why you hug toilets, and that was not the reason why I was hugging my toilet, just so you know. Um, yeah, it was a moment where we had 11 people in our house, and uh, we house share, and so there's just one bathroom on each floor of our house, so that's just one bathroom for our family, and um, it broke, and so I was like, my husband was like, oh yeah, I'll fix it tomorrow, and I was like, no. It needs to be fixed now. And so I was like laying hands on the toilet and praying in Jesus' name for the toilet and asking that God would please touch the toilet. Um, and um, he didn't. He instead taught me to, whatever, live the sacred mundane. So that was the um, toilet story. But I am thrilled to be here. I'm very, very grateful um, to be back. And I'm thankful that you let me come back. I see a couple more familiar faces. It's fun to be up here. Um, but I would like you to applaud yourselves. Um, thank you for your warm welcome, but applaud yourselves for getting here. Okay? Like, we're here. <laughs> I, I know, at least if you have young kids, but no matter what you have at home, it took a small miracle to get you here, right? To make arrangements for all of the children or the husbands or the houses or the dogs or whatever, the jobs, all the things that you have to cover in order to be here right? I, I'm with you. I get it, right? There's eight people in my house. We got seven chickens and we got, who knows, just stuff, right? All the time going on. And so making arrangements for my kids and where they're going to be and where they're going to sleep. They're camping right now. And, and then my husband's also a pastor, as Janet mentioned. And so um, my children are going to be going to church with my husband on Sunday, are you, are you feeling the, the little bit of anxiety here about like a six-year-old and eight-year-old basically unparented all morning, okay? So I am practicing what I'm preaching about community, okay? So I said to the ladies last week, I said, okay, my children are going to be basically unsupervised next Sunday. Will you please all pitch in and make sure that they are not hitting anyone, not licking anything, right? Where... <laughs> They're supposed to be, okay? This is like group parenting next weekend. So I'm trusting that they're going to um, take care of them. But I'm grateful that we're here. We made it here. And I'm grateful for the sacrifice of time and money and energy that you have put to being here. And I've been praying and praying and praying over you. I know all of you have been praying also um, that this would be worth your time that you would be glad that you invested your time here this weekend. So I am thrilled to be here. I had kind of a funny week, actually, um, work at camp, but this is actually, I was camping all week. So my family, I wasn't the one that planned it, but had out-of-state um, out family in town and so planned this big camping trip for us. So this is actually like a step up big step up for me from what I was doing all week. So last night I was like, oh, there's a bed. Like, 
this is amazing, right? And we have meals that are not peanut butter sandwiches. This is amazing. So at the last minute, um, we decided I was actually camping just five minutes from here. And so we said, why don't I just my family could just drop me off here and I wouldn't even go home. So anyway, again, availing myself of community, I emailed and said, I'm just going to come. Does somebody have like a hair dryer? Like, can I just come? And then I showed up and I was like, I don't actually even have a ride home. So community though, right? I mean, I'm teaching on community. So someone's going to step up. And of course, Heather was like, I'll take you home. So I've been, the Lord has been leading me and sort of stepping out of my comfort zone and practicing what we're talking about, living in community. But I also wanted um, to applaud because, and this has been mentioned several times, but um, not only did you make it here and did you make all the arrangements to be here, but you did all of that with unseen opposition against you the entire time, right? I don't know if some of you felt it, right? Against you the entire time, pushing back, right? Unseen forces working against us to get here, right? I'm sure we could go around in a, in a group this size and go around and just share stories of all of the things that happen at the last minute, right? I had actually a, a relatively uh, uneventful getting ready for this, but I know over the times of getting away that when I have set aside time to get away and be with the Lord, it is amazing the catastrophes that happen at the last minute, right? I will tell you from being in ministry, pastor's wife, church planting, all that kind of stuff, it is remarkable how much sickness happens on Saturday nights. I will just tell you that, okay? I'm not saying, I'm just saying it is unbelievable how many kids get sick Saturday nights. It is unbelievable how many fights happen on Sunday mornings on the way to church, right? It is unbelievable all the things that pop up at the last minute when you are getting ready, especially for something like this. Okay, so we know there is one person who loves to steal and kill and destroy who does not want us to be here learning how to love one another and live in community, okay? I also want us to uh, be mindful of the fact that just because we are here doesn't mean that that opposition has ended, okay? Um, again, not to draw attention to the evil one, not to give undue focus on him. We want to focus our eyes on the one true God, just like we did when we were worshiping. I love that. But just to know, just as Paul um, warned in 2 Corinthians 2.11, he was talking about a different conflict situation, and he finishes by saying, we are not ignorant of the devil's schemes. So whenever there we're talking about relational stuff, and then it was sin, and then reconciliation, and repentance, and forgiveness, we cannot let the enemy have any little pushing open the door, right, on distrust or irritation or unforgiveness or frustration or all those things that come up. We are not ignorant of his schemes. Right, Ephesians 4, 27, which we're going to talk about more tomorrow, says when in the, in the context of relationships, he says, give no opportunity to the devil. Now, why would he need to say that? Because we do give him opportunity, don't we? We entertain that critical thought just one second too long, right? We say that kind of kind of funny, kind of sarcastic, kind of mean thing when we kind of shouldn't have, right? We give just a little bit of opportunity for the evil one. And I just want to encourage you this weekend, don't. Right? Let's get the most out of our weekend. Let's not let the enemy rob us of anything that God wants to do this weekend. Right? There's different ways 
briefly, there's different ways that um, I believe the enemy tries to do that. We don't want to give him any opportunity. He might, in fact, be trying to do that right now when you're going, and why should I listen to you, you little punk young speaker? What do you know? You're half my age. Who knows? Maybe. Hopefully none of you say that, right? Um, he, may, he may be like, and what do you know about community? What do you know about pain? What do you know about messy, yucky church situations? Right? Right off the bat, he will try to get us to think that. Now, the answer to that, the solution to that is not for me to try and convince you, well, I'm this. And the solution to that is go, you know what? I'm not going to get distracted by the messenger. I'm just going to receive from the Holy Spirit whatever he wants to speak to me. Okay? No matter who it is, I am going to receive whatever God has for me. Later on, he might try to get us by comparing ourselves to each other. Right? He might try to convince you, you don't actually belong here. Right? See all these happy, clappy women praising God? Yeah, you do not belong here. <laughs> right? Right? He will try to convince us that we do not fit here, that we somehow do not belong here. Right? It might be tonight. He might get you by having you room with someone who snores all night long. And you might give opportunity to the devil, right? Or just by making us tired or just by, just by tuning out, right? Just by saying, I've heard this, I know this stuff, when's free time, right? And I just encourage you, don't let the enemy rob us of anything that God wants to do this weekend, okay? Engage, listen. Don't let me get in the way of you listening to the word of God and letting his Holy Spirit work in our lives. Amen? I'm just going to pray again. We've prayed a lot. It's good. We're just going to pray again. And I just encourage you, if you're comfortable, just open up your hands like this and just an attitude of, God, whatever you have for me, I receive. And Father, we love you and we worship you. And we just declare that you are a good father. We know that the enemy is constantly trying to convince us that you're out to get us, or that we don't belong, or that we somehow should walk in shame or be intimidated. We just speak against that in the name of Jesus, and we declare that we trust you, and we love you, and we invite you. And with as best as we know how, we say that we will do whatever you ask us to do this weekend. We pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts and help us to get every last drop of goodness that you have for us this weekend. We love you, God. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are looking at community. You know that, right? Courageous community. And our theme verse is John 17, 11, and it's on your booklet, your fabulous little booklets. Aren't those great? I love the body of Christ and all the various um, giftings. I'm telling you, if, if we tried to, like, switch things around, it would not, like, if you got me on this thing and gave me a mic, you would all, like, run for the mountains. <laughs> it's, like, not a pretty thing. He told me, okay, you're going to be muted on the mic, you know, until you go up there. I'm like, you promise you're not going to play a trick and, like, turn it on while I'm singing, okay? It is not a pretty sound to anyone other than the Lord, thankfully, but he is so gracious. But we're looking at John 17, and John 17, 11 is on your books that we would be one 
as the Father and the Son are one. And I love that we're studying John 17 because I believe these are some of the most important words in all of Scripture. In John 17, right? They are Jesus' last words. These are Jesus' final words, some of his final words when he was on earth. Now, only one time, just think about this for a minute with me, only one time in the history of the entire world, right? Thousands and thousands, who knows how many years, in the history of the world, only one time has God dwelt among us. Only one time has the word become flesh. Has God actually put on skin and come and walked next to us and let us hear him and let us touch him? Only one time in Jesus Christ, right? And that was such a short life, right? I'm already older than Jesus ever was. That's crazy to me, right? I'm like, what have I accomplished? (laughs) No, he only had probably 33 years, right? A short, tiny, short period of time that we had God incarnate on on the earth, right? And only three of those years do we really have any of his public ministry, right? Only three of those years, the whole stretch of human history, right? Only three of those years do we have a public ministry of Jesus. And of those three years, we only have a few little sermons of his recorded. Only a few, very few little words. So all of who God is, right? Omnipotent, omniscient, creator God, eternal God, who always was and always will be, pushed down into a body for 33 years, exposed to us for three years, doing many, many, many things. John says later in this gospel that if, if all that Jesus said and did was recorded, the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. There is no way we can even fathom all that Jesus said and did. And in those three years, we only have a few little sermons Precious little ones, right? And of those, this message is the longest. What we're looking at this weekend is actually not only Jesus' longest, but his last. His last sermon or discourse, if you will, that Jesus gave while he walked on this earth. Of all that he said and did, this is the longest and the last. We tend to think of the Sermon on the Mount as sort of Jesus' main sermon, right? And it's it's good, right? Not distant sermon on the mount. It's awesome. But this one's actually longer. This is a longer discourse that Jesus gave. And like I said, it's his last one. The Sermon on the Mount is like Jesus' inaugural speech, if you will. And this, the upper room discourse, if you will, is like Jesus' final parting words. Right? The Sermon on the Mount was for the crowds, but this, this message was for his followers. The Sermon on the Mount was what he shouted from the mountain, but these words were what he whispered, what he said quietly in that upper room over dinner. This is where we lean in close to listen. Just this weekend, um, this week while we were camping, um, my pastor, when I grew up, he he was my pastor for however many, until I went to college, 20 years, and um, was like a father to me. He's a powerful, powerful um, preacher and man of God, and now he lives almost full-time in Africa um, and, and makes disciples there and just does wonderful work. I mean, thousands of people listen to him and follow him. Um, but it's been a tradition. We've been camping at the same campsite for 17 years, and um, every year that he's in America, um, they come. 
for a day, and they just come, and we just spend time together, and, um, and so they just got back from Africa, and true to his word, they came on Sunday night, and, um, and it was just so special sitting there, you know, around barbecue, and he leans in close, and he started talking to me and my sister-in-law about parenting, and I just thought it was one of those times where, you know, I've heard him preach hundreds of times, but when he looks at you and starts talking, I mean, I was like, you know, and he was so encouraging. He's so, he's so dear. It was all affirming. It was very dear. But it's that kind of a message, right? It's that kind where it's like, oh, I got to get this. I want to listen to these last words that Jesus gave us right here on earth. So the passage in John 17, like I, mes- like I mentioned, is part of a longer sermon, right? Part of a longer discourse. So we are going to look at our theme verse in the context of its entire message, right, in the context of its entire discourse. I, over the past 15 years, um, have taught probably hundreds of Bible studies and whatever, conferences, retreats, those kind of things, and it would be very grieving to me and frustrating too if someone just cut out one little sentence that I said, right, and just took that one thing and ran with it, right? That's why Twitter is a little dangerous, but I still use it, but it's a little dangerous, right? Take one little thing and put it out there for the world, right? So that's why we're not gonna do that with this verse too, okay? We have to be careful about taking just one verse and running with it, right? That's why we need to be really careful, appreciate those things. We have to be careful with devotionals that are just a verse, right? We just have to be careful with those things, right? The shorter the verse, the shorter the context, the more danger we are in of misinterpreting it, right? Basically, the bigger the passage, the safer we are, right? In a, in a, the bigger the passage, the safer we are. Um, and this is why I'll just, two little, a little tidbit about me, I share this every single time because it's the most important thing. Some of you are like, you always say this. Yes, I turn into the mom that wags her finger. And, um, but why I just believe in reading the Bible, the whole thing, cover to cover, right? The whole beautiful, glorious, tattered, wonderful thing, right? Um, I did not grow up reading my Bible at all, actually. I was 18, and I'm sorry to say it. I'm sorry, Mom and Dad, if you're listening to this, but I never, ever read my Bible. I don't even know if I could have told you. I was like, the New Testament is like, is that the Jesus one? Is that where the, right? I mean, I'm not joking, okay? And, um, when I was 18, uh, I read this wonderful old book called Disciplines of a Beautiful Woman by Anne Ortland. Anybody know Anne Ortland? Yes, she's precious, right? She went to be with the Lord a couple years ago. Um, but I read her book, and she just had this throwaway sentence in there about how she read through a Bible each year. Just wasn't even the main point she was making. She just read through the Bible each year. And she said, four chapters a day, and you can read through the Bible every year. And I remember sitting there in my dorm room at Oregon State University, And I remember being like, I mean, it was like the words just jumped off the page, right? And I remember thinking, that's so simple. Four chapters a day, that's like 20 minutes, tops, right? And I remember thinking, if I did that every year over the course of my life, if God was so gracious as to give me 60, 70, 80, whatever years, I could read through the entire Bible 60, 70 times. That is crazy, right? That's incredible. And so I started. And I just, something about me, I'm kind of a 
I'm a plotter, okay? I am not very spectacular. I'm, I'm not super brave. I don't have a bucket list. I don't like doing daring things, but you give me something to do and I'll do it over and over and over until you tell me stop. I mean, that, it's just kind of how I'm wired. I'm just, my blog's called Sacred Mundane for a reason, just plod, right? And so I started then and I read through it 17 times. Right? But that has been, and certainly, you know, I've done different, different studies on different books and in-depth kind of things. That's wonderful. But that has all been on the bedrock of this full counsel of God's word. Right? Paul talks about that in Acts 20 when he's, he's sharing. He says, I did not, I, 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 I disclosed to you, I preached to you the full counsel of God. And if that is all that you take away this weekend, I pray that you take away this. Reading our Bible. Right, just the whole thing. It doesn't take very much time. Now I do um, three chapters in the Old Testament, one chapter in the New Testament. I used to just read through cover to cover, right? But that was kind of a bummer because you're like, you're in Leviticus <laughs> with nothing else for quite a while. And it's like, oh my goodness, like discharge and nakedness. And oh, it's like <laughs> really hard for, okay, you know the chapters. Some of you are like, I don't get it, right? You can read it later. And it's, you're like, oh, but, um, but with this new way, you're like, you're always getting some gospel, right? Because you're like, okay, whoo, that was crazy. But, and, um, and all of, I, don't, I do not mean to, I'm not making light or making fun, but there's just some things that were very specific to the nation of Israel that can be just kind of interesting for us to read. Um, but that is uh, the most important single, I believe, the single most important habit to train us in life and godliness, right? To equip us for life and godliness. And I would even give you this challenge. Don't read another book until you've read this book. Right? Just a simple challenge. Don't read another book until you've read this book. Right? This is how we know truth. This is how you can listen to what I'm saying and see if it's true or not. Or see what, whatever podcast you're listening to or whatever book I am going too long on that point. I need to stop. I'm just realizing. I will keep moving. So we're looking at the final sermon. John 14 to 17 is that chunk. And if you have your Bibles, it would be great. If you could open up to John 14, we're going to start there and go through uh, chapter 17. And I'll mention in your booklets, um, there is at the bottom of the discussion pages, there's a little thing that says, get the most out of your weekend. And all that is, is just an idea for you so that you can read the passages that we're going to be looking at in our sessions, okay? So I would encourage you to get the most out of your weekend. And the way to get the most out of your weekend for this is to just read through John 14 to 17. Probably take about 15 minutes. Um, so before you do your princess dash or whatever, sometime, no, sometime before tomorrow morning, read through um, John 14 to 17. So in John 14, he begins by saying, let not your hearts be troubled. He's beginning to tell them, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Do not let your hearts be troubled. That's how he begins. He's warning them that hardship is ahead. They need to trust in Jesus. Hardship is ahead. They need to trust in Jesus. I believe that is very applicable for us today too. Right? We do not know what is ahead for us and our nation and our families. Do not be troubled. Trust in me. And then he says he's going to prepare a place for us in glory. And he explains that he is the only way to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
He is the one way. He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. He is beginning, just in the very beginning of this message, he's beginning to fully disclose his oneness with the Father. Okay, his divine oneness with the Father. In verses 10 and 11, he says, the Father is in me and I am in the Father. You see it again, the oneness. My words aren't my own, they are my Father's. I'm doing the Father's works. And he urges them, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. He's saying, in other words, the Father and I are one. And if that's too hard for you to believe, because that's kind of crazy and kind of abstract, remember all the miraculous things that I've done, right? Things that only God could do. All of Jesus's works proved his words, right? You could sum up the ministry of Jesus as preaching and proving, Right? Everything that he did, all of the miracles, all the healings, all of his signs and wonders, they testify, they were a sign that the gospel was true, proving that his words, everything that he said, were from God. Believe me, because I can do what only God can do. So he's saying the Father and the Son are one, and if it's hard to believe that in something invisible like that, believe in the visible things that I did right in front of you. Believe that we are one. And then in 1412, Jesus goes on to hint a little bit at what we're going to talk more about in chapter 17. He says, whoever believes in Jesus, this is crazy, will do even greater works than I have done. Whoa, we're getting involved in this oneness somehow, right? What is that going to look like? We'll do even greater works. Whatever you ask in my name, carrying out this good work, you will have whatever I ask. So this is the beginning of a handing over of the work of God to his disciples. Right? You see this shift happening in this last, in this upper room discourse. God the Father has handed over the kingdom work during this time on earth to the Son. Right? And in John 17, he says, I accomplished the work that you gave me to do. There was work that the Father gave to the Son to accomplish on earth, right? What was that work? To redeem mankind, right? The Father sent his Son to gather his children and bring them back into the family. To go after the lost sheep. To die on the cross to atone for our sins. And to welcome us into the family of God. And Jesus accomplished the work that his father gave him. And now he's handing over that work to his followers. Now, I don't know about you. I'm like, whoa, that's a big step, right? No wonder he keeps saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. That's troubling to me, right? What's going on here is troubling because it's one thing to go, okay, yes, the father handing over the work to his son. He's still like God. Okay, that makes sense. It's not a big jump. But now he's saying, I'm handing over this work to you, buffoon, right? Or to you, like, sinful, frail person. I mean, did he know Peter, right? Like, he's, he's handing over the work to these guys who are, like, arguing over who's going to be greater. He's handing this over. It's like, oh, I don't know if this is a good idea, Right? It's like handing your car keys to your two-year-old, right? Here you go. Go ahead, drive us down to camp, right? I mean, it's equivalent to that. This is big work, right? 
And then it's as if, in verse 16, it's as if Jesus can, I don't know, kind of read our minds like he can and go, okay, no, 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 don't worry. You're not going to be alone, okay? This is kind of a big deal. This is kind of a big task. I get that. You're not going to be alone when you do it. And he says in verse 16, I'm going to give you the helper, right? I will ask the Father, and he will give you a helper to be with you forever. Forever. The helper, the helper, excuse me, will come. And then in verse 20, he mentions the Holy Spirit again, that when the Holy Spirit comes, we will know that Jesus is in the Father, and we are in Jesus, and Jesus is in us. Again, you see it, the oneness throughout this entire message, the oneness is coming up again. And if we love him, verse 23 says, he and the Father will come and make their home with us and in us. You see it again, oneness. Throughout the entire message, he is emphasizing this oneness in verse 26, it says, the Father will send the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name, and he will teach us all the things and bring to remembrance all that Jesus said, right? The Holy Spirit with us always. And then in chapter 15, so the very next chapter, he continues this theme with this picture of the vine and the branches, right? Same thing. He's continuing this theme of oneness. He is the vine, and we are the branches, and without him, we can do nothing, right? Verse 5 says, without me, you can do nothing. We must be one with him, remain in him, abide in him if we are to do anything, right? Total oneness, total connectedness to Jesus is the only way to stay alive spiritually, Right? There is no hope for us. You know, those of you who have been out in your garden and you've cut something off and it just goes down immediately, right? I did that. I had some dahlias that were kind of going down and I cut them off and I thought, oh, I'm just going to go get some water and then I'll come put them in some water. By the time I came back, they were like, Ooh. I mean, they were done, right? It does not take long for us. And I even believe as I've been praying, that is a word for someone here tonight, that the reason we feel stuck and spiritually dead is because we are not one with the vine. We have got to stay connected to him. We can do nothing on our own, total oneness. And then he says again in verse 26, there is going to be great tribulation. In this world, you are going to have trouble, right? But he is the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth. And then Jesus continues in chapter 16. He goes on with that. Chapter 16, he's saying, in verse 7, he says, that it is actually to your advantage that the Holy Spirit comes. He says, it's actually to your advantage that Jesus leaves and the Holy Spirit comes. Now, that to me is also crazy. Because I don't know about you, but if I had an opportunity to have Jesus here with us, like, I would jump at that. Right? To have him here, to touch him, to talk to him, to ask him questions. I mean, my doubts would be gone, right? All of my struggles and all of my stuff. If I saw him, right, every person would be healed in his presence, just like he was when he was here. Right? All of those things. If Jesus was here and yet he says, it's actually better for you that I'm not. I got to wrap my mind around that, right? It is better for you. Because one person 
can only do what one person can, right? But he gives us the Holy Spirit into all of us who call on his name. That is how we can do greater works, even though he has left, because he has given us his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, he's called in Philippians. Right? The Spirit of Jesus works in and through us for his glory to do those greater works. He takes the power of God and works in and through us. So Jesus is handing the work of the kingdom over to us, ah, right? But he's giving us his spirit. He's giving us his spirit. He's not leaving us alone. And again, Jesus emphasized that anything that we need from the Father, we can ask and he will supply, 1624, right? Ask that you may receive, that your joy would be full. What do we need in order to carry out that mission to further the kingdom of God? Ask for that. And then again, he says in 1633, he says things are going to get rough, right? You will have tribulation, but take heart. And then I always picture this is like Jesus leaning in close and saying, right? Like, things are going to get gnarly. Guess what? We win. It's going to be okay, right? I get it. I'm with you. There's crazy stuff going on in our world, okay? My husband's total conspiracy theorist, and he's like, this disaster is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and then this terrorist, and then this, and it's like, okay, that's probably all going to happen. You're right, but guess what? We win, okay? We win, there is hope in that. He says, take heart. I have overcome the world. We win, and that is our hope. And that is how he finishes his final message, his final sermon. And then in John 17, we see Jesus finish his sermon, and he lifts up his eyes to heaven. I love that, by the way. Every time Jesus prays, he lifts up his eyes to heaven. Love that. We tried that at dinner one night with the kids. We were like, let's not do this. Let's pray like this. It was so fun. They're just like talking up at them. He looks up and he prays. And he prays out loud. So this is his, his, just his closing prayer. And he prays out loud for our sake, right? So that we can hear what he is praying. He says that he's, he's finished the work that the Father has given him to do. He's glorified God on earth. He's manifested the name of God to his people, and now he's leaving the world. And we get to our, our theme verse in verse 11. He says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Right? Remember that handing over of the kingdom. Jesus says, I am taking off back to my true home, but I'm leaving them here. I am handing over the good work of building the kingdom of God to these followers. And I pray, here's what I pray for them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Right? He's not asking that they, verse 15, he says, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world. This is where they need to be, in the world, right? If we have a pulse, we were meant to be here. We're not done. If we are still on this earth, there is still work for us to accomplish as long as we are here. He says, but what I do pray is that you would protect them from the evil one. That's what he prays, that we would be kept from the evil one. 
that we would be able to be effective in the work that he has given us. So Jesus is commissioning us to this great work of furthering the kingdom and praying that we would be kept from the evil one so that we would be effective. And not only, you know this, those of you who know this passage, you know that he's not only praying this for his disciples, he's praying this for us. Right? Verse 20 says, I'm not only praying for these, but I also ask for those who will believe in me through their word. And that is us. Any of us who believe in Jesus and call him our King and Lord and have received the free gift of salvation, this prayer is for us. We are enlisted. Kind of goes with the deal, right? You get eternal life, but you also get to be in his army, right? Enlisted in his service of furthering the kingdom. And he prays for us that they, verse 21, that they may all be one again, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. Do you see, he's saying, he's basically saying the same thing over and over and over, right? Oneness, oneness, oneness. That, here's why, that the world may believe that you have sent me. The reason he prays this is that the world may believe that you have sent me. The kingdom work of the world hearing the good news of the gospel, this is the reason why Jesus prays for us to be one, right? The future of the kingdom depends on it, right? That is why he prays for us to be one. That is the one purpose for our oneness. I had um, kind of a fun, silly, uh, shallow picture of this um, while we were camping. Um, I have a, a relationship in my family that has been, I'm sure none of you can relate to this at all, so, um, that has been really difficult over about a decade of time. Um, really, really hard. I won't say any more. I'm actually, I was thinking of you, I'm actually not a crier at all, which can be kind of awkward among women because sometimes, like, someone will be sad and crying, and you're supposed to, like, cry with them. That's what you're supposed to do, right? And I'll be like, trying to, like, make the tears come or whatever. I'm like, I really am sad. I'm really sad. I just am not showing it right now. But, um, but this situation was exceedingly painful. And um, just, some, just some different things. Of course, there's different, anyway, stuff. And so um, about four months ago, we had a, um, a come to terms about that. And by God's amazing power and grace, there was powerful reconciliation. Powerful. And... Um, it's part of the journey, I know, even of preparing for this conference, right? It was the Lord being like, yeah, so that thing that's been going on for 10 years, you going to deal with that? Like, oh, not that. He's like, yeah, that. That's the one I want you to deal with. I'm like, oh. Um, and so this was the first opportunity for us to be together since then. Okay? From distance. Leave it at that. And um, so it was like, Okay, see how this is going to go. And so the first night, Sunday night, um, it just happened because of who was there that um, my dad took everybody out boating except for me and this, and this girl and all of our kids. And um, so they all left, and my brother was um, in charge of the dinner, but he left on the boat. And so, they, so we were in charge of dinner, okay? I'm getting there. You're all like, where is this going? Charge of dinner, which seems fairly simple, right? We had just arrived at the camp. Like, okay, we've got all this fresh fish. Okay, so she's like, well, will you help me get this ready? I'm like, cool, awesome. We're going to do something together. Cool. Okay, and so 
my dad had just gotten this new, um, it's not new, an old motor home, but we had never been in it before, okay? So we're like, okay, my dad was like, there's a grill on the bottom, um, just find the grill and you can use it. We're like, okay, so we're like, okay, well, let's find the grill. So we look around and we finally find the grill and we pull it out and it's about yay big, okay? And we've got like 20 some people to feed fish, okay? And we're like, okay, that's pretty small. That's okay, we'll just do it in batches, right? We're like, okay, this is so cool. So we open it up and it is covered in green mold, okay? I'm like, clearly you did not ever look in this. And so we're both like, ah, okay. She's like, I'll clean it. And I'm like, no, 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 I'll clean it. It's good, like, we'll clean it. And so She's going around to see if maybe there's a different grill because this is really gross and I'm in there, so I'm scrubbing all the mold, but I'm laughing. I'm like, this is really funny. The two of us, like, okay. So I'm scrubbing the mold, so we get it back out there and we're like, okay. And we're trying to set it on this little ledge thing and it won't work and so it falls and I'm underneath of it and then it falls on my head and she's laughing and I'm laughing. And so we finally get it on there and then we get the gas line hooked up and it's the wrong thing. Like clearly someone has not been totally up and up, just FYI on this. I'm like, it's the wrong gas hookup. Like this does not work. Okay. So we're like, looking at each other like, okay, no grill. Okay. So let's just use the oven, broil it, right? It's an RV. Perfect. Broil the fish. Totally fine. I go in there. I'm like, I'll go check out the oven and figure it out. I go in there and I'm like, there's no oven. This motorhome doesn't have an oven. Okay, okay, so no oven. So I go back and I'm like, we don't have an oven. So we're like, okay, we could microwave the fish. Like, we're just trying to think, like, how are we? Here's your microwaved salmon, you know? And so, um, and then so we're like, okay, well, um, griddle. We have a pancake griddle, okay? We can use a pancake griddle to cook the fish, right? And so um, we get out the pancake griddle and we get it set it on the thing. And we finally, we're looking for an outlet. We finally find the outlets. The outlets don't work. Don't work. Take the griddle inside the motorhome. Outlet doesn't work. Take it to a different, none of the outlets work in the motorhome, okay? So we're like, okay, the griddle doesn't work. The plugs don't work. The plug doesn't fit. There's mold. We're just looking at each other like, this is, so finally we just take the griddle over to the little, you know, the camp, went the campsite, has the little thing that comes up and it's got a plug in it. So we take the griddle over and we set it on a little tote and we fry our fish right there on the ground, right? And so, and we're just laughing and she's Instagramming, you know, and we're like, like pros, woohoo, you know, and we get, and then the kids and my mom, anyway, they're all kinds of, every kind of debacle you can imagine, right? The kids are like, we're so hungry, what's going on? And we get everything done and everybody, of course, we get it all laid out and everybody comes off off the boat and they have no idea, you know? And they're just like, oh, this is so great. Thanks for making dinner. And, um, and we just look at each other and, you know, wink and smile. And um, this beautiful, beautiful spread. And it struck me, the reason, it, you know, it's like, okay, you had a little rough dinner camping. But it struck me because we had been on another trip before, a few months ago. And on that trip, everything was for us, but we weren't for us. And honestly, it was exhausting. It was terrible. It was draining. It was tiring. And on this trip, in this particular situation, everything was against us, but we weren't against us. And it was exhilarating. Honestly, it was fun. We were laughing our heads off. We were like, this makes such a story, right? We've got this inside thing about all that we had to go through for this stupid dinner, right? And everybody comes back and they have no idea, but we know what we went through to make this happen, right? And that is such a picture of why we have to have a unified purpose, right? 
It doesn't matter what is against us, but if we are against us, that is exhausting. No matter what comes against us, if we are for us, it's kind of exciting, right? It's kind of like, okay, well, this is kind of crazy, but we're in this together, right? We are one. And that was such a picture to me of when we are united under the one purpose, right? That purpose was just feeding people, but it struck me too. We had one purpose and that was clear, to feed people, right? We didn't care who got the credit. It wasn't her dinner, my dinner, whatever. It was like, we got a whole bunch of mouths to feed and we better get to work. When we have a clear purpose and when we don't care who gets the credit, it's amazing what we can accomplish, right? Yes, the master is gone. And yes, there's a lot of things that come up that make it really difficult, right? A lot of stuff doesn't work correctly. But when we are for us, the work is exhilarating. The work is not exhausting. The work is encouraging and exciting. But we have to have that one purpose. And in an infinitely greater measure, right, we are here to remember and re recall back to our minds, what is that purpose that the world may believe that you sent me? Our call to be one, the purpose of that is that the world would see the beauty of the gospel. He says it again in verses 22 and 23. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and you and me, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. That the world would see the beauty of the gospel. Our courageous community is the catalyst for kingdom growth. Right? I've been praying for this weekend, obviously, for a long time. And the picture that has kept coming back in my mind over and over and over is of mending nets. Right back, you remember in the uh, New Testament, his, several of Jesus' disciples were fishermen, right? And they fished with nets. And Jesus calls us fishers of men, right? We are called, the body of Christ, the, kingdom, the, the Christian community is called to be the net, God's net that goes out and gathers hearts and gathers believers and brings them into God's family, right? We are to be fishers of men, gathering people. But when our relationships are broken, it's like a little strand that's severed, cut. Every time there's unforgiveness or a broken relationship or not being willing to reconcile, it's a broken one of those individual strings. And as the whole body of Christ, I think we could agree, we look at all of those broken strings and you add them all up, and you've got a net with big gaping holes that's very, very tattered and it's not very effective. And as I prayed and asked the Lord, how do you, okay, how do you mend nets? All right, how do we do this? How do you mend nets? It's so simple, one by one. The only way to mend the net is one by one. We can have a great, grand scheme for unity in the body of Christ, but it is only as effective as our one-on-one -on -one decision to forgive. 
in our one-on-one decision to walk across the room and to seek unity with one person. We cannot do a large-scale community unity without one-on-one reconciliation and forgiveness and kindness and overlooking faults and all of those things. One by one, we mend those nets so that we would be one body and one net. God shows us, I think, I haven't looked. How am I doing on time? Do I have a couple more minutes? Do you love how I just, you're like you could say, no, stop, get off here. You can tell me. Um, I just want to mention just a, a couple more things. I'm kind of going long, but um, that when we're talking about oneness, right, that's really what we're focusing on this weekend. When we think about community, I want us to think about oneness, right? That's the, the, really the focus of our word is one. And I want us to think for a minute about how God has painstakingly, through his word and through creation, given us pictures of what it means to be one, okay? I want us to be fully convinced that this is the heart of God for us, okay? Yes, this is Jesus' final words on earth. Throughout the entirety of scripture, however, God is showing us what oneness looks like, right? From the very beginning, he created male and female. Different. Can I get an amen on that one, right? Oh my goodness, are we ever different, right? And he created us very different, male and female, and guess what he wanted us to do? Be one. What on earth was he thinking, right? How on earth? That they would be husband and wife, one. And together, male and female, married or not, I believe, male and female reflect the image of God, right? Together. Unity in diversity, right? Marriage was meant to be, we read in Ephesians 5, a picture of Christ in the church. That's why he gave us marriage. He wants us to see unity in diversity, two very different people coming together as one. The church, different people? Yeah, right? Coming together as one, as the body of Christ. Oneness. Think even of how God created our bodies He gave us bodies that we cannot escape from, right, to be a picture to us of oneness, of all the different parts, right, working together amazingly. Somehow they don't work together. Sometimes they don't work together very well, but as one, right, so that every single day we would feel and experience and see unity and diversity, that we would see all of the different functions coming together as one. We see this in 1 Corinthians 12. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31, he talks about that it is one body. In this very short passage, Paul uses the word one 11 times, right? Over and over and over. He's like, be one. You are one. Remember, one. Over and over and over. He says, just as the body is one with many members, We are members, all the members of one body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jew or Greek, slave or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. One body, he's saying over and over and over. Just as the body does not consist of one member, right? He goes into that whole discourse on, what if the hand says, well, I don't belong to the body because I'm not a foot, or I'm an eye and I don't belong to the body because I'm not a nose. That's exactly what we sometimes do. 
We isolate, I love in this passage, it's very interesting. He starts out by showing the individual member isolating itself because it's not like the others. Well, I don't belong because I'm an I. That's ridiculous, he's saying, right? So the first part of that passage is isolating ourselves. Well, I don't belong because of this difference. The second half of that passage is isolating others. The second half of the passage says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Right? That's when we isolate others and say they don't belong because of that difference. So we have this tendency, right? We isolate ourselves because of differences. We isolate others because of differences. And then we're a big mess, right? Because nobody needs one big eye. Yes, agreed, right? We need all of our members to function together as one. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Verse 19, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And he goes on to talk about spiritual gifts and all those things working together as one. Now, how does this work? How? How, right? That's basically what we're looking at this whole weekend. The rest of the weekend is how. How do we become one the way the Father and the Son were one? How do we make this work? How do we do this for the glory of God? And I just want to leave us for tonight with this one just interesting thought from John 17. If you turn back there, in verse 6, Jesus says, I manifested your name. It's interesting. Throughout his final prayer, he over and over talks about God's name. In verse 6, he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. And then in verse 11, he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name that you have given to me. And then he says in verse 12, that he kept them, I have kept them in your name. And then in his very final words, in verse 26, he says, I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. We cannot move forward in one courageous community until we see and receive and come together under the one name of the one true God. My heart will sing no other name, Jesus. As long as we are singing our name or even our church's name, or our, this is my soapbox name, or this is the one thing that I'm super passionate about. And there's a lot of good things out there, right? But we can be so tempted to sing the homeschool name, or to sing the healthy living name, or to sing the whatever, right? Okay? The, this baptism, or this way of doing church, or this. We can sing so many different names. We will become a courageous community when we first and foremost come together under the name of Jesus. No other name but Jesus. Acts tells us there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We come together in community under the name of Jesus. Have you, I ask you just as we close, have you called on the name of the Lord? If you are not sure, 
if you belong to this body, if you belong to, maybe you're like, I don't think I am part of that body, right? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I'd encourage you and plead with you to become part of the courageous community, but that cannot begin until we call upon the name of the Lord, that your name would be written in the Lamb's book of life. And tonight, I encourage you too, as we're gonna sing, Amber and Cherie are gonna come back up, and we are going to sing the name of God. We are gonna sing the name of Jesus. And just for tonight, all of the other distractions and all the things that divide us and all the things that we get in a twit about, we are going to lay those aside and focus our gaze on the one true God and focus our eyes on Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna sing. Father, I thank you so much for giving us Jesus. I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would bring salvation, that we would call upon your name, even if we are already believers, I pray that we would call upon your name as our full salvation, that we would trust in nothing else, that we dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. I pray that you would be exalted tonight. I pray that you would be pleased I pray that our work of community would not be something that is man-contrived, but it would be spirit-born. As we fix our gaze on you and as we worship you with our whole hearts, we pray that you would have free reign to work tonight and throughout this entire weekend. And we pray in the powerful and beautiful name of Jesus.